coming up on this special Mother's Day edition of A Really Good Enough Parent. I'll be introducing my own mother, Frances Altweez, to you all. Uh, obviously, I'm so excited to be able to have a conversation with my mother when you get to be um, a little over the age of 30 and beyond, being able to spend time with a mother and really valuing what your parents have done for you or whatever relationship you're able to still have with your parents is something that I think is really important. Having conversations with our parents, especially as they get older, is such an important part of learning and continuing the essential human evolution. So I'm really excited to be able to share her with you on this special Mother's Day edition of A Really Good Enough Parent. Stand by for Frances Altweez. And welcome to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. My name is Christine Altwees. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and for 30 years I worked in intercountry and domestic adoption and family counseling. I'm the clinical director at Pono Roots Counseling Center, where our focus is on family systems, and I'm also a mother. I've created a Really Good Enough Parent podcast in response to what we see every day in our clinic. Childhood mental health issues are skyrocketing, and it doesn't have to be this way. I know that really good enough parenting is a skill we all possess. As a parent myself, I also understand how easy it is to lose sight and to mistrust or panic in the face of a melting down child or an impudent teen. The good news is that you have what it takes to help your child. Take a breath, see your child's innocence. You can do this. This podcast will feature some of the incredible people I've been lucky enough to meet in my life. No two have raised their children the same, and all have done a really good enough job. You'll hear new perspectives on how to handle tough situations. You'll be reminded of how your own parenting takes its cue from childhood. And hopefully, you'll feel invigorated to go do a really good enough job at this most rewarding of all human endeavors. A Really Good Enough Parent podcast is designed to be story time for adults. So thanks for being here with me today. I do appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. We have a very special Mother's Day edition tonight for our listeners, for you. I'm so excited to be sharing with you my very own mother, Frances Altweez, who is, in fact, a really good enough parent. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so as you heard from my introduction, my mom is a experienced and experienced teacher, lifelong Waldorf teacher. Prior to that, she taught all sorts of weird stuff in the inner city public school system, briefly, summer programs like tap dancing and <laughs> basketball and how to play the piano and everything else that they could possibly give her to teach those poor victims. Um, and she's a trained artist, although she'll 
argue that point probably. Um, mother to three humans, grandmother to many, and surrogate mother and mentor to many, many more. So again, welcome, Mom. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. So we're here to talk about what it takes to be a really good enough parent. Mm -hmm. And I generally ask people to start by talking about their childhoods. Mm -hmm. Would you like to share anything from your childhood with our listeners that might inform how you turned out and why you became the parent that you became? Um, I grew up in an uh, Italian household, and of course that meant... Um, that um, there were very clear guidelines about what you did and what you didn't do. Um, we all had to work very hard at uh, maintaining the house. Um, but we also had a wonderful freedom in our neighborhood, a lot of kids in our neighborhood. And we were absolutely free. We could pop out, I could get on my bike and ride, you know, miles away from the house. Uh, for hours, and I don't know that my mom even had any idea where we were. We'd play hide-and-go-seek at night in the dark uh, and uh, until it got dark, and then George Swig would sit us on his porch and tell us uh, horror stories until it was time to go in. So it was a very interesting mixture of a clear form uh, from the family and also freedom uh, in being able to just play and really be a child. And so that was, I think, a, a, a wonderful, it was a wonderful gift. Um, I'm going to stop you right there just for one quick yeah. moment because of the uh, episodes I have recorded so far, 201, every guest has talked about their unfettered childhood, running in the forest or in the streets, playing until dark, no one knowing where they were. And I'm starting to worry about that anecdote because there's not much we can do about that nowadays. That was then, this is now. Mm -hmm. It was a super important part of amazing development and childhoods for everyone who experienced it. So I guess I'm wondering, what do we do with that mm. Good nowadays? Question. Yeah. yeah, you can sort of table that for now, but yeah. uh, you're not yeah. alone with uh, running amok as a child and mm -hmm. using all that to become an awesome adult. Mm -hmm. But also, as I said, a very important part of that was the, 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 the form that we had uh, and the fact that, um, um, you know, we, you know um, my mom was a very interesting woman. Um, she was, um, she, you know, she cooked for us and she made sure we did our chores. Uh, I helped her with painting and plumbing and electrical work. That's where I learned how to be a handy person. Uh, my dad worked long hours, so he was gone a lot. Um, we walked to the grocery store to get groceries because my mom didn't have a car. We would lug these groceries back home, wondering if we would make it with these our arms full of stuff. Um, and uh, she often uh, had headaches and was indisposed. Sometimes she wasn't home when we came home from school. We'd have to let ourselves in the house. So it was kind of interesting that she was present and in, in some ways uh, she, she wasn't present. And also the fact that uh, when I think about being a parent, one of the things is certain things that we, you know, how, what do you know about parenting? Well, you know what you experience and certain things you organically, you know, uh, carry and other things you consciously decide you're going to do differently. Okay. Can you say more about that? Well, <clears throat> we were, uh, again, we were, you know, we put ourselves to bed um, 
uh, she, my mother was often, uh, you know, indisposed or absent, so she'd take long walks, which, you know, she, I think she did the best she could, but she carried with her what she knew from her upbringing and her past. Um, but I know that uh, um, what, when I became a parent, which I, I knew nothing about parenting except, you know, what I had experienced, and of course, in the in the 60s, we all had Dr. Spock. That's what you had, was Dr. Spock. And he was supposed to be the authority on being a parent. He has been very much disproved since then. Um, but <clears throat> I just think about what Ken, Ken L. Reed said in Parenthood. It's like you have to have a license to drive a car and even fish, which become a parent without any kind of training or preparation at all. And so that was the case. We suddenly were, we were suddenly parents, and we had this wonderful this beautiful baby, and uh, Dr. Spock said, you know, every four hours, that's only when you feed the baby, and, you know, but you were crying like crazy because you were hungry, so, you know, forget that, I guess we had to do this right. Yeah, anyway, so, um, and it was, it was such a wonderful experience, actually, um, uh, discovering, you know, what do you do with this life that is now some responsible for that you have to carry. Uh, and I have to say, much of it, we're not really conscious of many things. We just kind of, often, just kind of did things. I mean, we grew up with, you know, that parents didn't worry about what you were going to do, what you were going to be, or anything like that. It was, you know, you just, you know, you raised, you raised you, you get a job, probably get married, have a family, that sort of thing. And there wasn't sort of this, you know, conscious thinking about all oh, little stuff the other way. And so there was a little bit of that, I think, in that we kind of, with many things, we just sort of instinctive, you know. I remember at one point I read an article that you're supposed to teach a kid to read at 18 months. You put signs all over the house, chair, door, table, that sort of thing. And um, I tried doing that with you, and somebody said, no, that's not right. You, don't, you really don't want to be doing that. And we just said, no, that's not right. It just didn't feel right. So I think, you know, so, you know, when you were little, we put all the canned goods in the bottom shelf of the kitchen so you could crawl around and take everything out and, and, and play with it. Um, we actually made the dining room into the playroom in one of our houses off the kitchen because, you know, the kid, you know, you needed to be near, uh, you know, the, the sort of the center of activity, which was, was the kitchen. So there are a lot of things we did which just kind of just because they seemed right. Um, and then, of course, a, a very important part of our, our parenting was when we discovered the fact that there is something called child development, that at a certain age, the children are ready for certain things. And uh, that was through Waldorf education. And that really was such an enlightening experience because it allowed us to look at our children differently. It's like, what are you experiencing now and how do we respond to that? What do you need? Because right now you see the world this way. And so that allowed us really to look at who this, who was, who was there, who was, you know, all three of you being with us to look at you and say, okay, what's going on? And how, how do we meet that? Can you give an example of a developmental stage and how you parented through that stage? Oh, let's see. Uh, let's see. So, um, well, rhythm, for instance, uh, at, his, at, a, at, uh, at three and four, for instance, um, the important part, an important part, well, important part of every child's life, is rhythm. 
that there are certain things you can count on happening at certain times. And that allows then the child to have a, a framework in which to work. That there are certain things that happen on certain days at certain times, which means there's no sort of arguing, pushing, pulling, because it's just part of a rhythm, part of a, of a, of a habit life. And therefore, there's this less sort of resistance to, to, to doing things. Um, the, the younger children need, need to be playing. That's what that's their life, and to be playing and drawing and coloring, not, not doing sort of reading. Writing. So lots of dress-up box, dress-up box for putting play clothes on, uh, you know, lots of art materials for you guys to play with and, and, and uh, draw with, uh, to draw with. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, so, for instance, for instance, at, uh, um, oh, I, I can think mostly now because it's been of uh, the, the fact that at, uh, I remember you at a certain point when you were six or seven, um, where, as this sort of, you were waking up, this beginning of this sort of, well, waking up intellectually, because <laughs> you just, you're, well, you were always independent. I have to say that. You were always an independent one. You just really didn't. You, at nine months, you were independent. You crawled away from us at the, at the gym class. And, you, you know, so you were always an independent. Anyways, um, uh, at what's a different developmental stages? So uh, a three-year-old at, at three is when this first time that a child's able to say, I. Before that time, it, they are just totally one with the world. And the idea that, you know, this is not mine, or sharing, is not something that's part of the makeup of a little little kid. And at about three, the, the first entering in is the first time that they get to say, you know, I am really an individual, as, as an I in there. And not that there's the ego, but it's that first, that first inkling that again shows up a bit at seven, and then at 12, when you know the 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 the, 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 the melding of the emotional life and the and the awake the consciousness life comes together. So yeah, I could go on a little more. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. yeah. I do worry for families who don't have that privilege because mm-hmm. it's definitely a certain privilege, a certain yeah. socioeconomic class of people mm-hmm. who can mm-hmm. do the yeah. candles and the dinner. Yeah. So you can do that around anything. You can do that around the take take home meal, you know. Uh, you, you know, but you you establish something that gives it some kind of form and meaning, even if even if it's take home. Um, I think that's that's part of the important thing. And if you have, you know, uh, these, you know, if you set it up that way. I do think it make, makes a difference. This is our, oh, this is our take-home meal. Okay, and we set it on the table and, you know, and, and, and we have it together and we talk about the food and we talk about our day. I think, you know, you can put that in any, any place. And maybe even there's one day a week, one day a week which you mark and in which you do it a little differently and it gives you something to look forward to, you know, on, on certain days. Because I know, for instance, we had evenings when we had meetings and, and, and we weren't together as a family, you know, but we had other days in, well, that, that we were. And also, you know, what uh, well, I, we, I grew up that we, our weekend began with cleaning the house. And I'm sorry, I still do it now. But I remember with your children, you know, that our Saturday, you know, you, you cleaned your room. It didn't matter what it looked like during the week, but it had to be cleaned on the Saturday before you went about whatever you all were going to be doing um, on, the, on the weekend. So, you know, that's, this is your space and, you know, it, it's your responsibility to, to clean it up and, 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 and take care of it. Um, you know, setting the table, uh, helping clean up afterwards, you know, you're part of a, of a, of a household. Um, I didn't, you know, and I also felt a very important parenting is example that, you know, you model, you, you model certain behavior. Uh, and I think that's as important as giving orders or directions, is that you want to be a living example of the kind of thing you, you want to see the children do. So work is, is not a four-letter word. Work is good. Kids like to be productive. They like yep. to be part of a team. They yes. like to see yep. group yep. effort yep. successful. Yep. Yep. I think back on, um, uh, and I have a little bit of amnesia, but I don't remember that there were many times when we were um, disciplined or told no. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that just pain has no memory, or is that uh, a conscious thing that you did? Well, I have to say, and I've, I've said it before, um, I think Jerry and I were very lucky. We had three remarkable children who did not make a lot of demands on us that way. And maybe part of it was because as I said earlier, uh, that when there's a certain form, that there's certain then anticipation on the chart of the child and expectation that they know within this form that they can expect this at this time and that's the way, you know, this at this time and uh, this is what we do here. And therefore, there, there's less, I think, push pull because, you know, it, the, the, the certain, there's a certain security and satisfaction in knowing that these things are going to happen uh, on a regular basis. And I think that may have been an element besides the fact that um, I just think we were, we, we, were, we were very blessed. But maybe that's because we've looked at you that way as well. We, we looked at you as being very um, capable, uh, wonderful children. And I think we had a lot of, I think we had a lot of trust. Now, I know there's a lot of things that happen that we don't know about, that we don't want to know about, but... Um, 
I, I, I think, uh, yeah, basically we trusted you. All right, on to the teaching. Yeah, sorry. Okay, uh, the teaching part of yeah. your career. Mm. Some things maybe that you noticed in teaching the children, um, how children um, thrived or failed yeah, based yeah, on yeah. things you noticed in their constitutions, personalities, yeah. oh, what boy. you knew about their home lives. Yeah, I have to say, it, teaching was, uh, first of all, I love being a mom. It was one of my favorite, it was my favorite thing to do. I thought it was a wonderful, creative uh, role to play in, in, people, in children's lives. It was, I loved it. I also loved teaching. And that's because you had this opportunity to work with children in a way where you were enabled to look at them and see how you could help the qualities that they had flourish through what you were giving them. Uh, and one of the things I have to say, I, I always said when I had conferences with parents, I always began by thanking them for something that they, that their children brought, that they did with their children. Because I think I, my experience was parents were often always were questioning themselves, what they were doing, was it good enough? Um, and, you know, uh, and so you want to help them understand this. Yes, look, your child's able to do this. You've done a wonderful job. With this, with this part of their, their upbringing, and I think they need, they really needed to hear that, and to uh, realize that yes, they were being good enough, really good enough parents, and that we were working together um, with the child, and, and I would they could tell me a lot. I anticipated that they could inform me. I I didn't ever take that the righteous arm the teacher that knows everything. I was more like you know what we're in this together, and what can you share with me. So um, I also learned a lot about the, you know, about you know the fact of um, how important making mistakes were, you know that uh, and encourage children like yeah it's it's better to make a mistake than to not try at all, uh, and so yeah. Okay, that's, that's helpful. That's For those who aren't watching, my mom is Italian, and so she's been wildly gesticulating and clapping and stamping with her hands. So that's the weird background noise that you're hearing. Sorry. Is Italian hand stuff happening. Yeah. Um, um, many parents seem to struggle with the idea that their children need to be um, involved in lots of activities. Um, um, and it seems to be something that uh, is almost a, a morality clause nowadays that if your child isn't involved in as many things as you can either logistically manage and or financially afford that you're somehow letting your child down. Yeah. I know you have thoughts on that topic. Would you care to share? Well, times have changed and I know that's just the way it is. And as I said earlier, and you commented the way I grew up, but also um, our children, um, had a tremendous we we lived in uh the inner city of detroit for a while and our kids went off on their bikes and sometimes you know they had challenges in in the settings they went off into um but they always came home thank god and um uh where am i going with this uh, over scheduling <laughs> over scheduling yeah and we i mean uh you did i mean my oldest daughter did arithmetic gymnastics for a while we drove across town to do that, and I can't remember why we quit, whether it was her idea or it was too far a drive. Uh, one son played a softball in a summer league. 
he had dreams about becoming a Detroit Tiger. And one son sang with a boys choir um, and, um, you know, for a while. So they did have these various activities. But I think, um, first of all, their school life was very rich and provided a lot in terms of um, the arts and academics uh, and movement. Um, and I think their social life was met by their neighborhood. They always seemed to have neighborhood kids. And so they were often occupied with that. And I can't, and then plus they all started working so early. One had a paper out at 10, uh, 10 years of age, early in the morning, she would go off all by herself, you know, snow, rain with a box on the sled. You know, no one was driving her around. She did it herself. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, they, 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 they didn't seem to need anything. They, their lives, I, I think, now they might argue with it, but seemed to be pretty full. They didn't have a lot of homework, which is another thing that, that, that uh, concerns me now, uh, is that I don't remember them doing lots of homework. Uh, I don't remember them being concerned about their grades and knowing every minute of the day whether they lost five points or had an A minus or an A. There's a backstory to that that we that my yeah. son is is burdened by his eye watch going off every five minutes, and that's yeah. a whole other topic for another day. Another day. Something the to kids, look at. Anxiety levels are all going through the roof thanks yeah. to the grading situation at schools. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there was, you know, there the. That I don't think I don't think again I don't know because I wasn't inside the child's brain so I don't know what they would say what the kids would say but from the outside I don't think they were burdened um, by having to do a lot of things because they did have friends they had neighborhood friends they had school friends uh, so their lives seemed to be pretty full plus they they, they seemed not to be wanting or needing anything else and they, as I said they all they'll they were you know paper routes and busing and you know because because they actually wanted to earn some money because they didn't live in a very affluent household <laughs> and that was another thing is like you know we didn't have elaborate birthdays and Christmases you know the very simple very simple gifts and and that seemed that seemed to be all right so in retrospect, looking back on mm. what you took away from your own childhood mm. into your parenting, because one of the things we talk about is um, how our childhood informs our future yeah. parenting yeah, yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah. So things that you um, took away from your own childhood experience? Yeah, well, I would say the fact that work, work is a good thing. It's something to be valued and honored. Uh, and that's why, I, you know, I, uh, I had my children, just as I had to um, help out at home, my children helped out, but not, not, not to the extent where they were burdened with it. Uh, um, <laughs> um, and uh, I say primarily that, but I think there were many more things which I chose uh, to to um, change, and that was, you know, being more present in the life of my children, um, and 
like being there at bedtime and tucking them in and singing songs. And so they were 12 and they said, you don't have to sing to us anymore now, um, you know, reading. I think so that was something I chose to do it, to be to be more more present with with my children and yeah. So looking at the world today and mm. things that you're aware of or worried about for modern parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I really feel for them because I think there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure from the schools. There's a lot of pressure to uh, achieve and for the children to achieve and be successful. Um, you know, what, before they really even need to think about it. You know, the fact that you have to find the right kindergarten or to find the right high school or the right, high, right college. So I feel they have a lot of pressure. And I, won't, I wouldn't, you know, say it's their fault. I just think if they're living in a time uh, where there's a lot of pressure, you've got the whole media situation, you've got the fact that everybody is so aware of everything that's going on in the world, there's no way of not knowing about the trials and the traumas in the world these days. I mean, the kids know a lot. I'm very impressed at how uh, woke that they are, the children are, and how well they handle it. So I think it's an interesting thing. I, I, I believe that, you know, uh, that the parents today have a real challenge with all that is going on and the pressures they have to be. The per they have to work. Most parents I know, they work sometimes two jobs. So they're you know away, and then they have they're not living at home moms. So they carry that burden of oh, I'm not home, and I should be home, and that sort of thing, um, you know. But it is what it is, and it's it's different. But I believe the children come prepared for what they are entering. I believe I believe the spiritual world actually um, is not going to send them to this time without being a capacity to deal with what what comes their way. And I think uh, the parents are um, really, uh, I, I, what I've noticed is that um, they're more informed. Parents know much more than I ever did when I became a parent. I knew nothing. And yet they know so much more. They know much more about child development. They know much more about how to, to be uh, you know, uh, parents, how to talk to their children. Um, I, I'm impressed when I see that. With, I was not a good talker with my kids. I didn't spend a lot of time talking with them. But um, I noticed that conversation uh, and sharing is very important. So I think, yes, they're facing a lot. Uh, but I think uh, I think it's the time they've come in into, and it's going to be all right. Because I think these, I see these children, particularly in their older, my older grandchildren, that they are aware of the world, interested in the world, and concerned about the world. And I think it's going to be okay. I just think it's, uh, it's they just, uh, the parents nowadays have to accept the fact that sometimes good enough is good enough. You're doing the best you can. And if you love the kids and let the children know they're loved, I think you can't do more than that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I like to, um, talk about is having curiosity about your child and mm. getting to know your child. Mm. And there's a fine line between trusting your child and still parenting your child. Mm. Right. Because yeah. I think sometimes there is a tendency to not want to disappoint your child oh, or not want your oh. child to be mad at you. Oh, and so yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a, yeah. I remember that. I remember I used to, we used to teach knitting to children in first grade because it helps brain development. 
And um, my parents said, oh, they're so frustrated because they can't do it. I says, yeah, they're frustrated now, but, but wait till they learn how to do it and they see that they can actually make something. So this whole idea of being frustrated is okay. The whole idea of being sad is okay. Because how do we build an emotional life if we don't have feelings, if we don't know the heights and depths, we don't know frustration and success, you know? So, and I know we, we've gotten over that good job thing, which, which has been poo-pooed, the fact that you have to say good job and give a trophy for participation. You know? So, yeah. You're not a fan of every child gets a trophy? No. <laughs> you know, okay. It's okay. It's okay to be, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't get first place. That's okay. I didn't win. That's okay. Did I do my best? You bet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes your best isn't very good and that's okay too. That's okay. Failure. I, I, one thing about teaching, I taught my students, you know, Mistakes are the best way of learning because I've learned more from my mistakes than I have from my successes. So I think the idea of making a mistake is really important. And children have to learn that a little, they develop resilience by failing once in a while, you know, by not always being the best or on top. It's okay. And they'll, they'll be all right. Stan used to say, by the time you're 31, you've You've grown through all those things, and the proof is in the, the one average. Who said that? Rudolf Steiner, the founder of the Waldorf schools. Ah, Rudolf Steiner. Yeah. We didn't talk much about Waldorf. That's okay. Even though we That's talked okay. about Waldorf, we didn't name Waldorf. That's but. okay. It's all right, because, you know, it's it's what we personally gleaned from it and brought into our lives, and we are very grateful for that experience. Can you say a little bit more about that? About what you gleaned from what? Well, primarily the fact that when I took education courses when I was in college, you know, it was like I learned nothing about teaching and nothing about the human beings I was going to be standing in front of. Waldorf begins with child development. Who is this sitting in front of you? You know, and uh, how can you come to know them? How do you look at them as individuals as well as looking at them as at certain stage of development. Uh, and I, that was just so helpful and, and, and so important in looking, for instance, at our children. So when one, when a, you know, at one point when there were, um, well, you can take this off. Okay. Don't make me do any more editing than I have okay, to. Okay, all right. Just don't name me. Okay, well, it was at one a, point when somebody. Yeah, not you, but, okay. but you know, it, I, I remember uh, a Waldorf High School teachers. Oh, I'll, I'll use this example. When I was teaching English in eighth grade, I had the children write stories and various things. And it was often interesting in these stories that the, the adult in the story would be in an automobile accident or hit by a car or be killed by a burglar or something like that. And at first I began to, you know, what's going on with these kids that they're writing these stories? And I realized it's because they're at that point in their life where they have to cut themselves off Cut, like cut the cord in order to emerge as individuals. So you have to cut off from their parents in order to be individuals. And so the story actually gave them the opportunity to do that. So, you know, so that was, that may be an example of, yeah, it's okay, you know, because that's what they need to do in order to take the next step. 
They need to individuate. They need to individuate. So yeah. I know I said this wasn't going to be about me, but this reminds me of a story of, um, or of an example when what happens when the parent decides it's time for the child to individuate as mm. opposed to the other way around. Mm. So when I was 10 years old and I was off at camp in New mm. York, and Dad wrote a letter to me telling me he was cutting my cord, mm. and I was not ready for that. You're not ready for it. <laughs> Even though I had gone there by myself. No. Um, I was A little shocked. young. <laughs> a little young. It made no sense to me. I was confused and no. freaked out. No. So the point of this oh. is let the child decide yeah. when the child is ready to individuate, which is how it is with most things in yeah. childhood, is that if you let the child figure the important things out on their own and, yeah. and decide the timing. They will choose the right time instinctively. Well, and be guiding them, though. Be guiding them. Because I remember when your bro when the, your brother turned nine, this whole this whole idea of uh, leaving paradise, which happens to the eight, nine-year-old. We're leaving paradise because, again, they're now seeing themselves in the world very differently. And how... I remember your brother wanted to hold my hand, and yet he wanted to let go. And this whole, and it was a mini, and you have these mini, you know, it's like the, when you first say I at three, and then at eight and nine, you know, you, you leave paradise, and, and, and it's a, another opportunity to, uh, you know, say, okay, I'm, I'm walking on my own. And then at, again at, at, at 12, uh, it's, it's another step, and then, you know, at, at, at 16. So you have these mini steps until like 21 or so when the ego really enters in. But they have these mini experiences of coming to yourself uh, as you're growing. I like the idea of parents being a swimming pool and being the wall. And the child holds <laughs> on to the wall and then pushes off and learns to swim oh. and comes back and holds the wall and then pushes yeah. off and swims a little further yeah. and comes back and holds and that you just have to be the wall. Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's, that's a very good image. I think that you're that you're actually present because particularly with teenagers, it's like, you know, you just got to be there because you can't always get out of them what what you want. Uh, but every you know, I remember it's like you know, when they're ready to say, when they're ready to do it, speak. They'll they'll speak. But you you have to be available. You have to be present. As difficult as that is at times with teenagers, because you really just want to leave the room. Yeah, yeah, and there's sometimes you just you just you know when it's time, you know, and uh, and you give that you give yourself the opportunity. I mean, I see it with with your kids. It's like they're quiet, 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 and then they start. And it's just that you know, it's yeah. so you're very good at coaching. really if you um, if you have the luxury of being present with your kids which is not, again, for yeah. everybody a possibility. And that's the sad thing is that many people really look forward to becoming parents and then they finally get to be parents, yeah. but the economic reality dictates that they work their butts off and then they don't really get to enjoy their kids. So then when you are with your child, just make the most of the time. Yeah. I, I appreciate your perspective because I think each generation faces di different challenges. And I think, and I do think parents these days, you know, they, they, they have many challenges, but I, I think it's going to be okay. I, I like to hear that you think it's going to be okay. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or tips, things that you learned as a child in your own oh, household yes. or things you learned as a young parent? Mm, mm. Anything that you think it's important for mm. parents to remember? Oh, that's, that's a really good question. I don't know that I have the 
the wisdom to answer that. I just know that uh, I don't know what it was. I, I never, when I was, before I got married, I had kids. I wasn't one of these people like, oh, look at the little baby, how cute, you know. But once I had children, it was like, what an amazing experience is this? And am I lucky? Anyone who gets to be a parent is is usually pretty lucky. Yeah, I think parenting is a is a phenomenal. Is a I loved every minute. And mostly, if I can fill in the gaps, it was an enjoyable human experience. But also, would you say it was the most um, humbling oh. thing and the, <laughs> the thing that taught you the most about yourself? Well. I'm still learning, actually. I have to say, and your questions are very, are very good, because I wasn't always. Um, I, I, I made, I made. Uh, the fact is, you knew you made mistakes, and I remember. I remember we'd be the kids would be asleep in bed. They go, oh, I wasn't a bad mommy today. I'll be better tomorrow. You know, you know so yeah. you and you made mistakes along the way. I mean, and you did, but you know, you're a mistake. Whatever. I mean, that's, that's, yep, mistakes are important because that's you learn from them. Yep. And that's part of being a really good enough parent is understanding that your kids actually don't do well with a perfect parent. They mm. need to see the human struggle. They need yeah. to know that failure is an option and frustration is healthy. Mm. And that's why having a Stepford wife for a mother would not yeah. be ideal. Well, you know, the other thing, one of the other things that, uh, I learned in world of education, if you look at the human being also being a spiritual being, being that um, Steiner said that children choose their parents. And if they choose their parents, they're there with you because they want to be there. We're coming to the end, mostly because I'm worried <laughs> about how late it is, and I don't want you to fall asleep. Okay. <laughs> um, I ask everyone at the end of the uh, episode if there's something that they are obsessing about enjoying wallowing in really like going crazy for right now is there a book a podcast oh, a thought oh. a movie anthony uh, mara anthony mara i'm reading him right now and it's his third book i read this uh, the constellation of vital phenomenon which was fabulous then i read the czar of love and this one is uh, he, he's just he, it's humorous, but he's dealing with really deep human questions, and uh, it's 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 really wonderful. So that's I'm enjoying that right now. Anthony Mara. Anthony Mara. I'll put him in the show notes. Thank you, Mom. Thank you very much, Christine. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> You're a really good enough parent. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Happy Mother's Day. I love you, Mom. This has been another episode of a Really Good Enough Parent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd leave me a rating or subscribe. Subscribing helps boost my ratings, and rating me obviously helps boost my ratings, but only if you liked what you heard. But apropos that, whether or not you do or don't like this, I really do like feedback. So please drop me a line if you'd like. Let me know if there's someone you want me to interview or a certain topic you'd like me to tackle. You can find out more about a Really Good Enough Parent podcast on the Pono Roots website at ponoroots.org. That's P-O-N-O-R-O-O-T-S dot org. Pono Roots is a nonprofit program, and if you wish to support our work, donations are always welcome. And with that, 
I'll leave you a quote from Carl Jung and something that my children remind me of every day. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. George loves Detroit.